Good morning. I thank the praise team and the choir. They do an outstanding job every single time. If you're visiting with us this morning, so glad you came. Hope you've been made to feel welcome. Join right in with us. We have been going over a sermon series for the last several weeks. Come to the table. We first talked about the table being prepared. Uh, Jesus told the story of a king who had prepared a great feast and invited all those that he wanted at the banquet. And as they went out to bring those people to the banquet, bring them to the table, everyone, without fail, had an excuse. Something in their life had become more important than going to that banquet. And the king said, all right, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them, draw them, make them come in that my house may be filled. And the table was prepared, and we talked about this table being prepared, and the uh, table presents the kingdom of God. The tablecloth was the covering of grace. Apart from the grace of God, none of us would stand a chance. The centerpiece is Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And last week, we set the first place at this table. These encounters that Jesus had. I don't know if you've ever had an encounter with Jesus. But, and they come in all different shapes and sizes. I remember the encounter I had with Jesus when he called me into the ministry. I will never forget that. He didn't show up in bodily form. I heard no audible voices, but he spoke to me directly, and I had an encounter with him. Now, these are face-to-face encounters with Jesus as he walked on the earth. And the first one we talked about last week was a woman that came to him, and she said, my daughter, she was a Canaanite woman, the enemies of the Jews. She came to Jesus and she said, my daughter is, is vexed with a demon. Can you help her? And Jesus gave her three responses. The first was, he ignored her. I said, that don't sound like Jesus. But as he ignored her, as he heard her cries, he already knew her situation. As he heard her cries, he ignored her, and he began to set a place at the table, and she kept coming back. It would have been a shame if he had set one thing down at the table, and then she walked away. But she didn't. He ignored her, and she came back that much more. And then he tells her, I have not come for your people. I have come for my people. How many times have we heard that in churches before? And he began to set another place at the table for her, another thing at the table, and she came back. She didn't leave. Nothing was going to stop her from getting from God what God had for her. And make no mistake, before he ever spoke to her, he already had her something prepared. And she came back the third time. And the third time, he says, it's not right to give the children's bread to dogs. And that right there would have been the deal breaker. For most, if not all of us, nobody's going to talk to me like that. But nothing was going to keep her away. And she said, yes, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Jesus gave her exactly what she wanted. That same hour, her daughter was healed, and she had a place at the table. The third part that we're going to talk about this morning, and the title is this, Born Again. Last week was just crumbs. 
This one is born again. And we're going to go from one extreme to the other. We're going to talk about last week a Canaanite woman. The enemy of the Jews had nothing to do with the Canaanites. And he sets a place at the table for the least of these. But today he's going to speak to a man that is at the top of his religious game. We're going to talk about Nicodemus. And we don't know a whole lot about Nicodemus. He's mentioned just a few times in the scripture. But it was Nicodemus that Jesus spoke the most recognizable scripture in all of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When, when Jesus spoke John 3.16, it was to Nicodemus. So there's got to be something about Nicodemus. We're going to talk about Nicodemus. And we don't know a whole lot about Nicodemus. When I was a kid, uh, I was real young. I have two older brothers and an older sister. They're five, six, and seven years older than me. And when I was really young, my sister, she was the oldest, so she knew better. She had convinced me that the word Nicodemus was a cuss word. <laughs> now, I'm, I'll admit I'm not the, I wasn't and probably still is not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I bought it, hook, line, and sinker. She had me convinced Nicodemus was a cuss word, which was not a big problem most of the time because nobody uses that word in everyday language. But when I would go to Sunday school, and my Sunday school teacher would talk about John 3.16, and the first time, I remember the first time she said Nicodemus at Florida. Ooh. And I almost said, ma'am, we don't use that kind of language in my household. I eventually came to realize, once I got into my 20s, that Nicodemus was not a cuss word. But we don't know a whole lot about Nicodemus. But we do know some things. The Bible does clear up some things about this man named Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. The Bible says he was a Pharisee. Now, the first thing you think of, the first thing I thought of when I was studying this scripture, when you hear the word Pharisee, you think those awful hypocritical, self-righteous, high-minded people. But back in Jesus' time, the tag of Pharisee was an honor. Pharisees were the highest religious order of the day. They were exactly what you wanted in somebody that was in your church. They were zealous for the scriptures of God. They were committed they were masters of the biblical word. They were spiritually disciplined. The Bible didn't give them enough rules, so they made up 600 and some of their own. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to join that church. But this was not a, a dishonor. This back in the day was an honor. To be a Pharisee meant you sacrificed everything in life to be the best you can be according to the scriptures. So he was a Pharisee. So already he is in a, a, an elite group of people. On the pile of religious people, he was up there at the top. The Bible also says he was a member of the Sanhedrin. This was the Pharisees' biblical council. It would be like our Supreme Court. 
They were the most influential and most powerful men in all of Jerusalem. There were 71 of them. So not only is he in this elite group of Pharisees, he's even in a more elite group called the Sanhedrin. They were, if you had any dispute of the scripture, of daily life, of your personal living, you took it to the Sanhedrin. So not only was he of the Pharisees, he was of the Sanhedrin. So he's getting in a smaller, more elite group as we find out about it. Bob also says he was an older man. At that time, the older men meant he was in there longer, he was more respected, he had higher authority than the younger ones underneath him. So we're talking, he's probably out of the 71, he's probably in the top 10, 15 of the Sanhedrin. So he's just, his credentials just keep rising. And then to beat it all, Jesus tells us that he is, and the Bible says a teacher, but that's translated the teacher of Israel. Nicodemus was the leading authority on the scriptures of God. So he was a big deal. Nicodemus was a big deal. Not only was he not a cuss word, he was a big deal. And so what we do know about Jesus is those things. He was a Pharisee. He was in the Sanhedrin. He was an older gentleman, so he had a lot of power. He was most likely wealthy. And he was the teacher, the authority on Scripture. And we also know that he came to Jesus by night. The Pharisees were out to get Jesus. The Pharisees did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They hated everything about him. They plotted to kill him from the very beginning of his ministry because of what he preached. And so Nicodemus being the teacher of Israel, the older gentleman on the Sanhedrin, could not approach Jesus and let everybody see him during the day. So he comes to him by night in the cloak of darkness. So we're going to look at the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. What do you think God in the flesh would say to the leading authority of Scripture of that day? If you'd like to turn your Bibles, turn to John chapter 3. And we'll start at the first verse. John chapter 3 says, There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. That's where the Sanhedrin come in. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Now, make a side note. If you're reading your Bible, I want you to underline the word in verse 2, we. Jesus, he comes to Jesus. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, but underline that. Keep that in mind. I always thought that we was the religious leaders of that day. That is not, he's not talking about the Pharisees. He's not talking about the Sanhedrin because they hated Jesus. They did not ever proclaim that he was sent from God. In fact, they accused him of being sent straight from the belly of hell. But he said, we know that you are a teacher come from God. And before he gets to ask what he came to ask, 
Jesus replies, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, How can anyone be born when he is old? Can he either enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I have told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and he's got something on his mind. And I don't know if it's he's going to ask him a particular question or if he just wants to, to see what his ministry is all about or, or why he came. Jesus never gives him the chance. Jesus' interaction. Now, what does God say to the leading authority of Scripture of that day? This is what God says. He says, you need this. First point, you need this. What's he talking about? You must be born again. You must be born again. I don't want you to miss this point because he was the best of the best. Religiously speaking, Nicodemus was at the top of his game. And if the rule applied to him, the rule applies to everyone. I, and it's because I grew up watching him. You'll never convince me otherwise. I believe that Michael Jordan was the greatest basketball player to ever play the game. I think he probably will always be the greatest basketball player to ever play the game. I don't care what the stats say. I watched him play. I watched him in them finals. I went to high school, or my brothers actually went to high school, with a guy that played with him on the Bulls. You'll never convince me that Michael Jordan was not the best. And I heard a story one time of the Bulls, and they were in a slump. And Phil Jackson came in, and he told them, he said, y'all have got to do better than this. He said, today at practice, every one of you have to shoot 100 free throws. Every one of you have to shoot 100 free throws. And everybody stopped. They said it got quiet. They stopped, and everyone turned and looked to Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan laced up his shoes, walked over and grabbed a basketball, walked to the other end of the gym, started shooting free throws. He said one by one, they all laced up their shoes, they grabbed a basketball, they went to a goal, and they started shooting free throws. Why? Because if the rule applies to the best, then the rule applies to everyone. And what Jesus is doing, and he tells them, this is what you need. He begins to set the table. And he's talking to the best of the best. And he tells him, you must be born again. Nicodemus says, this is, what do you mean? How can you be born again? And Jesus explains it to him. And Nicodemus knows the Bible, front to back, has the scriptures memorized. That's all he does all day, every day. And Jesus tells him, you must be born again. You must be born of spirit and water to enter to the kingdom of God. And to the Jews, when you said enter the kingdom of God, what that meant was when, when the final day happens, when the resurrection happens, I will have my place and my part in the kingdom of God. That's my reward. 
And he says, for you to do that, you must be born again. And Nicodemus was baffled. I've never heard that. What do you mean, born of water and of the Spirit? I don't get it. Jesus simply sets a place at the table and waits for Nicodemus to come around. So he first tells him, you need this. The second thing he tells him is, you should already know this. Wait, that doesn't make any sense. Because he told him, you are the teacher. He, and he goes on to say, in verse 9, let's look. He says, how can these things be? And this is Nicodemus talking. Jesus says, are you a teacher of Israel? And don't you know these things? In other words, you should have already known this. Aren't you the teacher of Israel? And don't you know these things? And then he went on. Truly I tell you, we speak what we know, and we testify of what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you be able to believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He said, you've been reading about heaven all this time, but nobody knows about heaven except for the one that came from heaven. You should already have known this. And he sits another place at the table. Nicodemus, you've read this before. You've seen this before. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You're just not getting it. You should already know this. And Nicodemus is baffled. You ever read something in the Bible? And I talk about this all the time because this is one of the things that amazes me the most about God's Word. I mean, the fact that the creator of the universe took the time to inspire those that wrote the Bible to tell us exactly what we need is amazing. But the fact that I can read a scripture a hundred times, and that hundred and first time I read it, it speaks something totally different into my life. That I, I, I can't, I, I, and it's a lot of times where we're at. It's a lot of times how close we are to God when we read it. Because I've read through scriptures, and there's nothing wrong with going through a daily reading deal, but I, I've read through, okay, I'm supposed to read this chapter and this verse today, and I read through it, and I go on. But when God's got a hold of me, and that scripture speaks to me personally, God is breathing life into his word. And he tells Nicodemus, you should already have known this. This should not surprise you. And I didn't find this out until this week as I was studying, but I believe this is what he was talking about. In Ezekiel 36, 25, and if you want to just jot it down, you can look at it later. I'm going to read it real quick. In Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, God says, I will also sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. That's being born again. God tells us in Ezekiel, about being born again. The washing, the cleansing, the, the water represents being cleaned. Just like the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all of our sin. And then God gives us a spirit. We've had a spirit all of our life. 
We're born with a spirit, but he puts his spirit in us. The Holy Spirit comes and resides in us, and that is being born again. I am a new creature when I am born again because I have God's spirit in me. My sins have been washed away. And he told Nicodemus, you should have already known all of this. And what he's telling me is you've set this scripture to memory. You can memorize it. You can quote it, but you never really got it. How many times do we do that? Some in here maybe have heard John 3.16 all their life. Maybe can even quote it. But don't really get it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Can you imagine knowing that scripture, reading that scripture, and not knowing what it's about? And that's what he's doing here in Ezekiel. He didn't get it. He said, look, I, you are looking at it heavenly, and I'm trying, I mean earthly, and I'm trying to tell you heavenly things. The communication is the problem. We're not as close to God as we need to be, and the communication is off, and it's our fault. God tries to tell us, and he tries to tell us, and we're not thinking heavenly things. We're thinking earthly things, and that's where we get into a lot of trouble. Even in the church, we want things to go our way. We want to do things our way. We want things to happen. I want to be this. I want to do this. And we're thinking us. We always say I, 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 and we never once mention Jesus. And that's where we get in trouble. The communication is off. Time with God changes things. Because we start looking at things, we start hearing things, we start reacting the way God wants us to react. We hear things God wants us to hear. We say the things that are pleasing to God. The Chevy Nova, if you know muscle cars, the Chevy Nova is one of my absolute favorite cars. That's not my favorite, but it's close. I had a buddy of mine that had one in high school. It was beautiful. I loved it. We went everywhere in that car. And I was reading this weekend about the Chevy Nova, and when it first came out, it, it was huge in, in America, several parts of the country. Just sales was booming. A lot of places around the world, sales was booming. One place they could not hardly sell a Chevy Nova. It was in Mexico. They had the hardest time. And they, they, they threw money at that project. And they come up with different ads. They, they sent a team over there to figure out what the problem was, why we can't sell this Chevy Nova. Everybody in the world loves this car. We can't sell them in Mexico. And finally, somebody started looking at things in a different perspective. Come to find out the word Nova in the Spanish language means doesn't go. So they've been advertising, buy this Chevy doesn't go. Jesus told Nicodemus, you're looking at it the wrong way. You, you don't have the language down. I'm talking heavenly things. You're thinking earthly stuff. Because this earthly stuff is all going to vanish. It's all going to pass away. We all go to our jobs. We all work. We all got to have goals. We all got to have things that we want to accomplish, and that's fine. But all of this stuff is going to pass away. What are we doing eternally that's going to last far beyond the grave? You should have already known this. And then he told him this. After he told him, this is what you need. 
and you should have already known this, what he told them is this, and it may seem weird. Now, it didn't seem weird here. She was a Canaanite woman. But he goes on to tell him, you can have this. He was the leading authority of Scripture at his time. And Jesus is telling him, you can have this. He thought he already had it. And if religion, if being self-righteous, if being good was good enough, he would have made it because he was at the top of his game. Jesus goes on to tell him, you can have this. Verse 14 of John chapter 3. Jesus tells him a story. Just as Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes, everyone who believes, everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And then he tells them the most recognized scripture in all the Bible. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his, own, his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He sets the table and he says, you can have this. And he explains it the way Nicodemus will be able to understand. Because Nicodemus knew this story well. If you don't know the story, what Jesus is talking about here is when the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness with Moses, because of their sin, God sent serpents into the camp. And these serpents began biting people. They were venomous serpents, and they would die. And there was no cure. There was no living. Once you were bit, you were dead. And they started to pray to Moses. They started to tell Moses to pray to God to save us. And God tells them how to do it. He says, take some brass and beat it into the shape of a snake. Don't miss that part. Beat it into the shape of a snake on a pole or a staff and raise it up. And if the children of Israel look upon that serpent lifted high, they will be saved. And they were. He did that. He beat the, beat the brass into a snake. He raised it up, and as they looked, they were made whole. They were healed. They were saved. He says, just as Moses did that, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever wants to be saved can be saved. And Jesus was prophesying what was going to happen to him. He was taken. He was beaten, put on that cross, and raised up. And because of that and only that, he could go on to say, whosoever believes in him should not perish. Not only was the Canaanite woman whosoever, but the religious best of the day was the whosoever. And he told Nicodemus, you can have this. We don't know a lot about Nicodemus. We know a few things about Nicodemus. What we don't know about Nicodemus is as he left, now he came to Jesus that night, and he had this conversation. And the last thing Jesus told him was, you need to be born again. And he left. The Bible does not say whether or not Nicodemus 
ever started following Jesus after that night, during that encounter. That night, the table was set. The places were set. Nicodemus did not come to the table. There were two other times in the Bible that Nicodemus is mentioned, aside from this. And the first is the Sanhedrin sent the temple guards to get Jesus to arrest him, to bring him up so they could kill him. The temple guards go out. They get to Jesus. Jesus begins to preach, and they couldn't do it. They come back empty-handed. And the council says, why in the world did you come back without bringing Jesus? And they said, we got there. And he began to speak, and he speaks like no one else. And they began to rail on these men. And Nicodemus, the Bible says, Nicodemus stands up and he says, doesn't our law say that we need to find out what this man is doing and what this man is all about before we take any action against him? And he was shut down quickly. But the Bible mentions Nicodemus at least stood up, at least took time to defend. And it wasn't openly defended. He didn't say, I've spoken to this man. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. But he simply said, shouldn't we find out a little more about this man before we take such action? So the encounter changed him, but he still didn't come to the table. But the Bible mentions one more time Nicodemus, and he mentions it with another man. The other man's name was Joseph of Arimathea. That's how we know him. We only know him for one thing. It was his tomb that Jesus was buried in. The Bible says Joseph of Arimathea, in the early part of the scripture, talks about him being of the Sanhedrin. I believe that when Nicodemus said, we know that you are a teacher come from God, I believe he was talking about him and Joseph. Whether he was or not, I don't know, but the Bible does say these two men show up again. And this time, it is not in the cover of dark. This time it's in the middle of the afternoon. The Bible says Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea come they take down the body of Jesus. Nicodemus brings 75 pounds of incense for burial. They take him down. They prepare his body, and they lay him in a tomb. Was there a change in Nicodemus? Well, the first time we hear about him, he's not even going to be able to seen with Jesus in the daytime. The last time we hear about Nicodemus, he doesn't care. Who sees him? He doesn't care what they say. He goes, he takes down the body of the Son of God. Why? Pretty sure he remembered this conversation. Just as a serpent was lifted up, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. And he gets him down and he prepares his body for the sacrifice. Nicodemus found out something that day. Nicodemus was worried about the outside. Religious people are worried about the outside. I remember I had a, a, my first vehicle. Now, the first vehicle I ever drove when I was 16 was a, a 75 model Ford van. And it was about as wide as this church. It seemed like it was. And uh, it was a work van my dad had. And so I, I was 16. I was going to drive anything. It didn't matter. And I was five foot three. When I was 16, so I was sitting in this van, barely reached the pedals. Steering wheel was about this big. 
I'd drive down the road like this. First vehicle I ever owned, I loved, because it was not that van. It was an 80 model GMC Sierra pickup. I loved that truck. It was green. Nobody else loved that color, but I did. That was my truck. It was green. I mean, talking about, I'm talking about all kind of green. And it, the rims were white, white wagon wheel rims. You could see that truck coming from a mile away. It, it was a, a three on the tree column shift. Loved that truck. I washed that truck. I almost washed it. And people accused me of washing, trying to wash the color off of it. I washed that truck all the time. I was living in Oklahoma when I got it. I drove that truck to Kentucky when I moved after I met Lori. I drove that truck a 1,000 miles. Nobody thought it'd even make it. Oh, it made it fine. I loved that truck. Got to Kentucky, I'd wash it, drive it, wash it, drive it, wash it, drive it. And uh, it was about this time of year, my first year in Kentucky. And it, ain't, it never did get real cold in Oklahoma. So I didn't have to worry about antifreeze. Wait on me now. And so I'm washing and driving and washing, and that truck, I love it, shine. Boy, just beautiful, and it shines. And, and I took good care of the outside. And that first hard freeze came. And, and when it, we get a hard freeze here, it lasts for hours. You get a hard freeze up north, it lasts for months. And that first hard freeze came. And I walked out. I got into my truck to go to work that morning. And I turned it over and it bleh, nothing. And I couldn't figure it out because it was so pretty. I you know, just waxed it. I hadn't worried about the inside. Nicodemus had spent his entire life working on the outside. He knew the scripture forward and backward. And then a man named Jesus come into his life and start setting the table for him. And he realized it's not about what's on the outside. It's about what's on the inside. What's on the outside is not going to get you to heaven. It's what's on the inside. That's why he pulled the body of Jesus off the cross in the middle of the afternoon because it wasn't what's on the outside. It didn't matter what anybody said or what anybody thought. It was what was on the inside. Let me ask you this morning. How are you on the inside? What is your relationship with God? If you're here today and you're thinking, I can be good enough, it ain't going to happen. I will give you a year. You learn the Bible. Memorize it forward and backward. Know every scripture in it. Do that in a year. When you come back, you will be no closer to heaven than when you left here this morning. It doesn't matter. What matters is what's on the inside. And the great news I have for you is not only does it not matter how much you know, it doesn't matter how much you don't know. It doesn't matter how good you are, and it doesn't matter how far you've gone. You can't be rotten enough. You can't have done enough for God to not get a hold of you and forgive you because he died for who so ever. You know who that is? That's you and me. Every one of us. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Let me ask you this.
do you need to come to the table for whatever reason? For whatever reason. Do you need to pray this morning? You come in here with something on your heart, on your mind. You just need God to get a hold of it. Last week's sermon, when she came with a need for God, there wasn't nothing anybody was going to say, wasn't nothing anybody could think about her, didn't matter. She was coming and she was going to get what she needed. Is that you this morning? I don't care what people think about me. I don't care what people say. I need a touch from the Lord. But more than any of that, if you've come in this morning and you've never been saved, Jesus made it as plain and simple as he could to the smartest man in the region. You must be born again. You can't do it on your own. Your life is not good enough. You can't do enough. You can't pray enough. You can't witness enough. It doesn't matter if you've not been born again. And if you're here this morning and you've never been born again, the table's been set. This entire sermon has been for you. Each place set at the table for you to come. Why don't you come? I would love to introduce you with this man named Jesus. I'm going to go one step further, and then I'm going to close. You're here this morning, and you've never been saved. You haven't been born again. you got questions. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I don't know what I need to do. I'm going to ask you to do two things. First, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand up, put it right back down. I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to pull at you. I'm not going to point you at you. No one's going to know. Me and you and the Lord is all. But you say, I, I got some questions about my relationship with Jesus. If I've really been born again. Put your hand up, put it right back down. I'm going to pray for you. My next request is this. If you have those questions, if you're concerned, catch me after the church service is over. I'd love to talk with you. We can get alone. I can answer any question you've got. If you'd like to be introduced to Jesus, I would love to do that. But don't leave here. Because if Nicodemus walked away, we don't know what happened. But luckily, we do find out he did come to the table. And you can too. Father, we're so thankful for this day, for all the blessings of life, how good you've been to us, Father. I'm so thankful. That you've set a place for me at the table. So thankful that you've brought me here to this church. And I pray, Father, that we do our very best to do what you would have us to do. To set the table for this community. To pray for those that need you the most. To work together. To bind together. fulfill your commission Father for those here this morning that do not know you that have never been born again that have questions, that, that have concerns that have worries Father those that, that don't even know yet how close they are to eternity I pray that you would move in a mighty and powerful way, draw them to an altar of repentance 
Show them that you died for them. Thank you for all you've done this past week, Father. For how good you've been to us. For the many blessings that stand ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like for the ushers to come just now if they would and take up our morning tithes and offering.